The Seahawks turned in a second ugly preseason outing against the Bears on Thursday night. Where do a number of topics stand on our panic meter? Rob and I are going to be playing the game on our Monday episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rank. Thanks to all the 12s for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're now several days removed from that debacle that was the home preseason opener of Seahawks losing to the Bears 27-11. to We're going to be dishing out our first Monday musings, a deep dive into that football game, kind of to to put a ribbon on it, so to speak. And then we can move on to the final preseason contest. And we're going to dish out our panic meter for the first time this season, looking at five different topics coming out of the first two preseason games. How concerned should Seahawks fans be about special teams play, the quarterback competition, a number of other topics. We're really looking forward to dishing out our panic meter numbers later in the show. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Only five days ago, the quarterback competition looked like it might be over before it actually got started. Drew Locke tests positive for COVID. He's not able to play against the Bears, misses a huge opportunity to start the game. Pete Carroll was planning to start him against Chicago. And so it really looked like Geno Smith was in the driver's seat, had a chance to clinch this starting job, maybe be named the starter coming out of that game Thursday. But here we are now five days later, Rob, and – Certainly things have went the opposite direction. Not all of it was Geno Smith's fault. He didn't get a lot of help in that game on Thursday night. But Drew Locke was back on the practice field today. He's feeling good. He was moving well. Looked a lot different than last Tuesday when he was laboring just to get through that practice. And now it feels like with five days until that preseason finale that Drew Locke is very much still alive in this quarterback competition. Yeah, I think that he is. And the simple reality is that Geno Smith doesn't have a throwing touchdown uh, over two different games. Of course, a half of each of the two preseason games. And that is why that Drew Locke still has this opportunity, Corbin. And and I, I think that it's unfortunate that we put all of that pressure on Geno Smith because, of course, he cannot single-handedly control Seattle's offense. He can throw the football. He can't catch the football. He can't block. He can't uh, you know, be the, the running back in the season situation uh you know and, and play all those different roles obviously and, and so Pete Carroll's talked about it I mean he needs a little bit of help and there was just so many uh you know moments where Seattle literally and figuratively dropped the ball or got false starts or things of that nature that basically just ruined whatever opportunity that Geno Smith had to develop any type of continuity on offense and get into a little bit of a rhythm um you know and so but at the same time he, you know, there were throws that, that Geno Smith was unable to make, and the proof is in the pudding. You've heard me say it a million times. He has to lead Seattle's offense to points, and his inability to do so, fair or not, has still allowed Drew Locke this opportunity. And as you said, uh, you know, Drew Locke was impressive during uh, Sunday's practice, and, and so I'm very curious to see if he is able to string together um, a series of impressive practices in a row, perhaps get that starting position 
option that I think most of us assume that he is going to have in the preseason finale against the Dallas Cowboys. And then who knows if he has a big performance there, then maybe he develops enough momentum to swing it over so that Drew Locke is the starter against Russell Wilson in week one. Pete Carroll talked about it after Sunday's practice, made it clear there was never any confirmation that Drew Locke was going to be starting this game against Dallas, but they've had to change their plans because of what happened here with him contracting COVID and being out for five days. They probably weren't planning to make this third preseason game that major audition for him, but now the opportunity is there, and Geno Smith just did not do enough in this game on Thursday. And again, it's not all on him. There were some crucial drops on several of those drives that if the ball was caught the way it should have been, maybe Seattle goes down and scores points and we're having a different conversation today, but there were some missed throws. There was the sack where he tripped on the running back's feet. That to me falls in a quarterback. It's a bumbling mistake and it's unfortunate, but there were certainly mistakes made by him. And you look at the practice on Sunday, Drew Locke did not throw any touchdowns. He didn't lead any touchdown drives in the red zone period. Geno Smith threw a touchdown to Tyler Lockett. He also had a bomb to Bo Melton down or to DK Metcalf down the left sideline. Bo Melton caught his from Jacob Eason later in the practice. But Geno Smith had more explosive plays, more highlight plays. And yet you could tell that Drew Locke was feeling more like himself. He was moving around the pocket well, made some nice throws while under duress in the blitz period in the red zone and had a couple plays that probably would have been touchdowns, but John Reed made outstanding pass breakups coming back from a groin injury. He might have been the best defender on the field for the Seahawks in this particular practice. It seemed like he was getting his hands on everything. So kudos to John Reed for making plays on really good passes to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in the red zone period and denying touchdowns to those star receivers. It was more about the defense in those plays than Drew Locke. I thought he looked pretty good on Sunday's practice. And so certainly he can build some momentum off of that. It's a lot different situation than I anticipated we were going to be in a week ago because I really thought that this competition, there wasn't going to be time for it to really still be a competition. But I think the thing that I didn't even pay close enough attention to, Rob, is You've got 16 days after that preseason finale until Denver comes to town. You've got more than two full weeks that you're going to be able to get practices in. Pete Carroll doesn't have to rush to make a decision on who's going to start a quarterback. And so, if anything, that benefits Drew Locke more than anyone in this situation because he can get more practices, and that's more of an opportunity for Pete Carroll to get that trust and want to have Drew Locke out there. I still think he's waiting to see what does he do, where does he fit in with this offense And until he started a preseason game and you really get that extended look, you can't answer that question. So the ball is still in his court. I just didn't expect that we'd be having that conversation the way things looked four or five days ago. Yeah, I, neither did I, um, you know, but of course, uh, as Pete uh, kind of mentioned, you know, COVID changes everything, um, you know, and that's the thing. It, it uh, um, you know, I think that it's most likely that Seattle was planning on starting Geno Smith in the first preseason game, planning on starting Drew Locke in the second preseason game. And then whoever was, you know, maybe leading at that point probably would start the third preseason game. And then very likely the regular season starter against them, regular season opener against Denver, of course. But 
again, things were kind of thrown a curveball once Drew Locke, uh, you know, tested positive. And I, I do, again, expect him likely to be the starter against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he is able to do and, and develop any kind of momentum. But as you said, um, I think this is a good point that the extra time, those 16 days between the preseason finale and the regular season opener does give Drew Locke more time than maybe uh, that maybe he could need. But I, I also think that it's important not only for Drew Locke individually, but for the Seahawks specifically. And as you said with Pete Carroll, he doesn't have to announce to anybody who his starting quarterback yeah. is. And, and why would he? He has a tactical advantage over the Denver Broncos at this point, Corbin. So, you know, you know how Pete Carroll is. He is going to turn every bit of pessimistic kind of stuff into something optimistic and something something positive. I think that he's looking at this as a positive at this point. The Denver Broncos have no idea who who uh, is going to be starting a quarterback. Maybe Seattle doesn't either. But still, the point is that does leave Denver a little bit more off balance from a planning perspective. And that's all you can hope for at this point. Yeah, I think that is a valid point there, that as long as Seattle is being guarded here and they're being coy about who's going to start, I'm sure the Broncos are probably looking at this as, Geno Smith is going to be the starter based on the reports that have come out of Seattle. And to this point, he has been the guy for most of the first team reps. But Sunday, that was really the, the big change here is they didn't pick where things left off necessarily because Drew Locke was getting all the first team reps last Tuesday before he tested positive for COVID. But he and Geno Smith split the first team reps and it was pretty even. So that is still a departure from what the first three weeks of training camp looked like. So the competition is still very much on. That's the point here. Drew Locke is alive and well in this battle to be the starter in week one. There's obviously a lot of pressure on him to go out and perform. I would be stunned if he's not the one starting against the Cowboys on Friday. The Seahawks want to give him that opportunity. But Pete Carroll doesn't have to tell us, the media, like he said today, you know, I might tell you about my plans. I might not. He doesn't have to indicate who's going to be starting on Friday. I would just be really surprised if it's not Drew Locke because you want to give him that opportunity that was taken away from him last week, and you want to see what he can do. And who knows how many starters are going to be out there with him, but you'd like to at least see what he looks like with that first-team offense in an actual game setting and really see where he fits into this competition. And who knows, if he goes out and plays well like he did in Pittsburgh – Maybe that'll be enough to sway this competition and Pete Carroll's going to feel like Drew Locke is in the driver's seat. He can win this job, even if it has felt like up to this point that it's Geno Smith's job to lose. We'll have to wait and see. This is still very much an open competition, and there's quite a bit of time for Carroll and the staff to figure out who's going to be starting against the Denver Broncos. Up next, we're going to take one last look at that tough Thursday preseason loss to the Chicago Bears. Some Monday musings, in-depth takeaways on both sides of the football from Rob and myself. We'll get to that here in a moment. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events. The number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news for every league, whether it's Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, or even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting to scores to podcasts. They have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast Monday edition for our YouTube listeners. Getting it a few hours early on Sunday night, the Seahawks had their 13th training camp practice today. We'll get a little bit of insight on that as we go along with this episode. I'm your host, Corbett Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Lockdown Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. 
However you play, get the latest NFL fantasy draft tips from Locked On Fantasy Football and Locked On Dynasty. Plus, starting August 22nd, we're bringing you daily top 10 lists for fantasy draft week. Locked On Fantasy Football and Locked On Dynasty are available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. It's always tough when we're looking back at a loss, particularly an ugly one in the preseason, Rob. But we're going to be kicking off. This is going to be going on all season long. We're going to have Monday musings the day after the game. In this case, with it being a Thursday game, a few days later, a few days delayed for us to look at all 22 film. But some in-depth takeaways following the game. And we've obviously had a chance now to go back as much as it was painful and re-watch this Bears Seahawks game Seattle losing 27 to 11 I'm going to give you the mic first good sir because you weren't on our post game show what is something on the offensive side of the football that really stood out to you in this exhibition game I think the very first thing Corbin would be just pass protection it has been such a huge you know wart for, for Seattle for so long. It's just been ugly. And and to see how well the two rookie tackles have played, and obviously with Charles Cross, we, we all know about the false starts. Um, but in terms of the actual play, uh, his play was pretty darn good, especially considering he's going up against a stud in, in Robert Quinn. Abraham Lucas has been terrific as well. I like the play of the centers. I really spent a lot of time watching Austin Blythe. I thought that he, that he had a, a strong performance. I thought Kyle Fuller played well. I thought Dakota Shepley played well. So those were areas of concern in my mind entering this game. Um, I, I know that there's going to be a lot of talk about the quarterbacks, but I, I just thought that you know before we were about quarterbacks you have to be able to have some type of protection to allow those quarterbacks time to operate and i feel confident that seattle has addressed their offensive line well enough that they should be able to give whoever is the quarterback some opportunities this season to have some success and i think piggybacking off of that i thought abraham lucas was the best offensive lineman on the field for the seahawks on thursday night and I don't know necessarily that it was close. He just was physically imposing in the run game. And I credit him with giving up a sack when I watched the game live. And we talked about this in the show. Going back and watching the All-22, the sack that Jacob Eason took, I'm not pinning that on Abraham Lucas. That was a case where Jacob Eason had tons of room to move up in the pocket, and he didn't do it. And so I'm not going to blame Lucas for that. I thought he was sharp in pass protection. I have him down for four pancakes in the first two preseason games. He looks like he's having a blast getting down and dirty in the run game. He's winning in zone blocking schemes. He's winning in gap schemes. It's the preseason. You don't want to put too much stock in it. But he, to me, looks like a legitimate starter. And to add to that, he was the best offensive lineman during their one-on-one drills at Sunday's practice as well. He stonewalled Daryl Taylor three times in that particular session. His main competitor, Jake Curhan, had kind of a rough one-on-one session, got beat by Vi Jones, who's now moved to outside linebacker full-time. His speed was too much for Curhan, and Quentin Jefferson beat him a couple times as well in that drill. So it seems like all the momentum is going towards Abraham Lucas at this point now. The guys they are blocking for, Ken Walker III, maybe a little bit of a cryptic message from Pete Carroll on Sunday. There's no timeline. It almost made it sound like maybe they're a little more pessimistic about how quickly he's going to get back from whatever procedure he had done for a hernia. But maybe Seattle shouldn't be worried about rushing him back because Travis Homer and DJ Dallas continue to perform well at training camp practices. They both have played well in their preseason games. I think both these guys just look like they have taken their game to another level. You've got a healthy Rashad Penny, too. 
Seattle should feel really confident in the backfield group they've got and the versatility that that group brings to the table with Homer and Dallas being really soft-handed out of the backfield. They're both good pass protectors, particularly Homer. Even Penny has shown some improvements in that regard. So they can get by without Ken Walker III, at least for a few weeks, if they have to stall out his recovery time a little bit early in the regular season. There's no question about it. Ken Walker III is a terrific talent, but Seattle's running back talent and depth overall is fantastic. Um, you know, I, I've been to five different NFL clubs training camps over the last month of the se- uh, month, uh, Corbin, and I think that Seattle's running back, uh, again, talent and depth is as good as any of them and perhaps better than all of them. And we're talking about teams like the Super Bowl defending L.A. Rams and and, and, and Super Bowl favorites like the Kansas City Chiefs, Denver Broncos, Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, some stacked rosters, and yet Seattle is just as good as it gets, in in my opinion, at least at the running back position. You you mentioned just the incredible play that we've seen so far in the preseason from Travis Homer and D.J. Dallas, Uh, you know, Josh Johnson, um, you know, Darwin Thompson, and then, of course, Rashad Penny. There's only been two days I've been at Seattle's training camp practices, Corbin, but the the two days I've been there were two days that Rashad Penny made explosive plays. And and so I think that Rashad Penny looks like he's basically on track to do exactly what he did towards the tail end of last season. So I think that he is the leader of that clubhouse, and Seattle has all the time in the world if they want to take Ken Walker and allow him to uh, you know, really, truly be back and healthy. Because, again, I think that He's a spectacular talent as well, but it is not a position where Seattle has to rush to judgment there. I would say this, though. While running back is a huge area of strength, in my opinion, and wide receiver, at least the top two guys, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, obviously are superstars. My goodness, it does feel like Seattle just continues to have problems with trying to find any kind of number three option, number four option, any type of consistency. I think the Penny Hart, uh, you know, Kevin Cassis was was some of the the best, uh, you know, most reliable receivers Seattle had in this preseason game uh, against Chicago Bears. I, I mean, to me, is there anybody who wants to play that number three receiver for Seattle? You know, we were just talking about how Drew Locke kind of was a quiet winner by not playing in this game Thursday. I think D. Eskridge was just as big of a winner because he was back on the practice field Sunday and he was running fast, looking explosive. He was limited, but they did get him some reps in team sessions. So that is a big step forward. But Seattle doesn't have to rush him back because Freddie Swain, with that atrocious drop that he had on the first drive on Thursday night, that was one of the worst drops that I've ever seen. The ball was perfectly thrown by Geno Smith that would have been past midfield. He's had a rough training camp to this point. And then you've got players like Derek Young and Bo Melton who have shown things as rookies, but they've also been very inconsistent, particularly Melton. He's had the issues with dropped passes. Penny Hart was quiet until this preseason game. Seems like he's kind of picked things up. Marquise Goodwin is banged up. So it really has not been a situation where another player has come out and just seized that number three or even number four receiver spot. So D Eskridge sitting there laughing like, I'm good. I just need to be healthy for week one, and I'm going to be the number three receiver. Nobody else has been able to really put pressure on him. And so unlike the running back spot, you know, that is an area you feel like there's a lot of talent in that receiver group, and we've talked about it a lot, but you've got to play to that talent level, and there just hasn't been consistency. There's been some injuries. Cody Thompson going down, obviously Marquise Goodwin, as I mentioned. So that is certainly an area where the Seahawks are hoping this third preseason game, they're going to get a lot more production overall from that receiver group. And maybe somebody can step up because to this point, 
who knows what that pecking order is going to look like behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I guess there's a reason those guys are making so much money and the rest of the receivers in the roster are not making very much money because there is a very wide gap between those two superstars and everybody else that's on the depth chart. Now going to the defensive side of the football, I don't want to stack on one player too much, Rob, but you know, sometimes you watch film and usually it's like, it's not as bad as you thought, or it's not as good as you thought. Marquise Blair played as poorly as I thought he did, if not worse. And I don't like piling it on because I think Marquise Blair has a lot of talent and without the injuries, who knows where his trajectory is at at this point, but He's playing on the final defensive drive in the second preseason game in a game that they're losing by double digits. That is not a good omen. And you look at the production. Yes, he had eight tackles in the game, but I counted five blatant missed tackles. And there were several others where he took poor pursuit angles. He doesn't wrap anybody up. He hasn't been really in the slot cornerback competition at all either. It really feels like right now he's clinging onto a roster spot because of his draft status and the fact that Seattle believes maybe, you know, coming back from another knee injury, maybe he just needs a little more time and he'll turn it on. But right now, it has really been a struggle. I think he is in legitimate trouble to make this 53 man roster. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. You cannot miss as many tackles as Marquise Blair missed in this in the second preseason game and not be in serious uh, jeopardy of losing your position, especially when just like that running back position we talked about before as a position of strength safety, I think it is arguably as strong as running back and certainly Seattle's strongest position on the defensive side of the ball, in my opinion. And Blair has left himself very, very vulnerable. And as you said, uh, you know, we're not – the habit of, of piling on a player so i'll give him some kudos i mean that in the very on the opening kickoff there there was a forced fumble there uh pittsburgh recovered the ball back uh, or excuse me chicago recovered the ball back but it was blair the that, that was able to punch that ball and it's because that he tackles the way that he does he leads with those shoulders so much and sometimes the crown of his helmet is unfortunate we saw with yet another penalty um in, in this game but still it, it is that violence he is a true striker and sometimes that results in forced fumble and it's that type of appeal, that type of aggression that likely would lead to some other club uh, sign Marquise Blair if he was cut from the CX or even try to be put on their practice squad because he does have that talent. He was a second round pick, as you referenced. But at the same time, uh, especially in Seattle's system um, that, that really relies on open field tackling. Pete Carroll is as bullish on open field tackling as any coach in the NFL. And Marquise Blair has to be better. Um, if not, if that, we don't see a significant turnaround, similar to what we saw in, ter- in terms of defensive turnarounds uh, or in, in terms of impressions made in that game. What about the turnaround from Tariq Woolen, by the way, who's you know, terribly tackling in the first game and then comes back and makes some very nice tackles, by the way. So, so I do see, I would say that the, the Blair still has his opportunity, but certainly has to be much, much better um, than he was in week two. He was playing with the scout team on defense on Sunday, though. Again, it doesn't feel like things are trending in a good direction for him. And it's not agree. just the missed tackles. It's it's the way that he's doing it. And yes, the big hits, forcing fumbles, like that's all fine and good. But if your tackle rate is only like 45% or whatever it ended up being in this game. You can't have that. And then Josh Jones continues to make plays. Like yep. that has just put so much pressure on him. Building off of that, 
The slack cornerback position, I don't necessarily think that the Seahawks should be concerned about it because there are some intriguing candidates there, but you don't have Ugo Amadi anymore. Marquise Blair really has not been in the mix, at least from a traditional slot corner sense in training camp. On the outside, it seems like it's a good problem. We'll figure out who the starters are going to be, but we're going to be happy with it, with whoever ends up winning those jobs. The slot corner, though, Justin Coleman had a very up and down preseason game against the Bears. There were some plays that he gave up some significant yardage, some missed tackles. I haven't necessarily seen consistency from him in his second tenure with the Seahawks. I thought Kobe Bryant looked pretty good in the slot playing that position, and yet he didn't get any first-team reps on Sunday at the slot cornerback position or on the outside. So it doesn't necessarily seem like the Seahawks are planning to go that direction, at least for now. So it's anyone's guess what's going to happen at that slot cornerback position. Maybe Blair can play himself back into it, but that looks like another position where there are some question marks. Who is going to be the guy? when we get to that season opener. Yeah. When we get to the season opener, I I still think it's going to be Justin Coleman just because, uh, you know, he's the kind of the incumbent, obviously Uh, it's been a couple of years removed since when he was in Seattle, but still that's where he's kind of cut his teeth is at that nickel spot. I've been really encouraged by Kobe Bryant. As you mentioned, another solid performance in the game as well as on Sunday's practice. Um, And then John Reed, um, you know, made some nice, is in practice he's been out a lot so i don't know that seattle is going to use him at both inside and outside but he does have that experience in the past um and he has shown some things so yeah i, I think it's a little different than what we talked about at the number three wide receiver position i think that seattle feels pretty confident in their nickel corners it's just you're, you're hoping to see one player kind of step up and, and pull away um, whereas it's not been the, the, the collection of miscues that we've seen as far as Seattle's, uh, you know, secondary or, or second and, and third uh, place receiving core. When we come back for the next segment, you know, the Seahawks had a pretty darn tough second preseason game. They didn't win the first one either. It's just exhibition season at the same time. The fans are panicking, so we're going to bust out for the first time this season our panic meter on five different topics coming out of Tuesday's preseason loss to the Bears. We'll be right back. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. But nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of drunk driving. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On Fantasy Football podcast for your second listen. Find the intellectual fantasy expert, Vinny Iyer, who brings over 20 years of NFL expertise and a unique angle to give you the moves no one else has. Get ready for your fantasy draft with Locked On Fantasy Football, available on YouTube and everywhere you get podcasts. All right, Rob, the Seahawks losing to the Bears 27-11 to on Thursday night, dropping to 0-2 in the preseason. I Already going into preseason and training camp with low expectations. Fans, understandably, 
have plenty of reasons to be panicked about the state of the Seahawks. And so without further ado, for the first time this season, it's time for us to bust out the panic meter. And how this works, scale of one to five, I'm going to dish out a topic or a player or something along those lines. And you and I are going to dish out a number between one and five. One being Pete Carroll at the beach sipping on a rum and coke. Five being the VMAC is burning to the ground. And we're going to decide where the panic meter is at on all these topics. So let's start with the most obvious one here. First up, Rob, quarterback competition in general. Where is the panic meter at for you on the state of the quarterback competition with Drew Locke missing time with COVID? Interesting way the Seahawks have handled divvying out the reps throughout training camp. Just the fact it's Geno Smith versus Drew Locke. Where are you at panic meter wise with the QB position? You know, it's kind of ironic that I'm going to use the number three, but uh, that's where I I feel like Seattle's panic meter should be at the quarterback position. It is not full-blown panic attack and, you know, oh my goodness, uh, you know, thank goodness that you have these two first-round picks next year. And that's part of the reason why I don't think it's a reason to panic. Also, I have been encouraged, despite what the statistics say, I've been encouraged by the accuracy and the poise by Geno Smith. He has basically had everything falling down around him and yet still been fairly successful, um, at least if you just evaluate him on the caliber of throws and things like that, not just the silly numbers that people who don't know much about football like to tell you is so important. And I remain very, very intrigued by Drew Locke's talent. But at the same time if you were to ask me if can either one of these quarterbacks lead Seattle to a 500 record I I don't know that that's the case so I certainly can't argue that this is not an issue so again I'm going to go right down the middle at least this first one I would agree with you I think this is the biggest area of concern for the Seahawks and I would say that this is something that needs to be a concern a three but not overblown panic like a five I don't think you and I are going to agree on a lot of these, but I'm kind of feeling the same way. I'm going to, I'm going to go with a four just because there are the concerns with the ceiling for Geno Smith. You like the throws he's making. He made a lot of really smart decisions the other night. I just don't know how much higher the ceiling can go with him. He's going to be able to run your offense. He's going to know the offense inside and out. He's got a good rapport with DK Metcalf seems to be building one with Tyler Lockett. The coaching staff trusts him. His teammates trust him. I just don't know where that ceiling is at. And then Drew Locke, he's got the higher ceiling, but you just don't know if you can trust him. Can he run this offense? Can he continue to be smart with the football, which for the most part he has been during training camp? The momentum has been on his side. So you've got the Jimmy Garoppolo possibility hovering over the Seahawks. If he becomes a free agent, then Seattle could absolutely try to bring him in and upgrade the quarterback spot. So We knew going in that this was going to be a concerning area for the Seahawks. I don't think the building is burning down, but after Drew Locke misses that second preseason game, the bad luck of of contracting COVID, I definitely think that there might be some smoke billowing from the building, and they're hoping they can get the fire extinguisher, have a good performance by one of these quarterbacks on Friday, and feel a bit better coming into this 2022 season. Up next, staying on offense. False start fever. Charles Cross with four of them in one game against the Bears on Thursday night. Also had a holding penalty, so five penalties total. Where are you at on the panic meter with Charles Cross and just this offensive line in general that's had issues with false starts throughout training camp and the preseason? Corbett, right now on August 21st, my panic level is a one. 
on on Charles Cross's false starts. Uh, we have another performance like that, then that panic level will absolutely skyrocket. Uh, the fact that it was a home game um, and, and he had suddenly these false start issues after not having those types of issues during the training camp practices that I have seen in his two seasons as a starting left tackle in the SEC going to some very loud, very formidable locations, never saw this as an issue. And so that's why I'm not overly concerned um, in listening to uh, and just kind of reading some some of the comments that people have mentioned, uh, you know, Charles Cross did not know at the time that he was going up against Robert Quinn, one of the most productive pass rushers in all of the NFL. I mean, he certainly recognized he was going up against a good football player, but didn't necessarily. So it wasn't nerves, I don't think, about his opponent. So, again, if this winds up becoming an issue, uh, you know, and that was something that, that Nick Lee and I talked about before. If we had some concerns about how well Seattle's rookie tackles would go and fare in, in, in Three River Stadium or whatever Pittsburgh calls their stadium now, um, just because of the, the the crowd noise. But it was certainly problematic in this game. It absolutely destroyed Seattle's offense. We talked about that with Geno Smith had no opportunity. So many of the false starts and hold uh, that Charles Cross had in this particular game brought back huge plays for Seattle. Um, and so that is something that, unfortunately, Seahawks fans are all too familiar with guys like that. We, we've seen in the past with Jermaine Effetti, uh, you know, with James Carpenter and their ill-time penalties. Hopefully, knock on wood, this is not going to be a second coming of that type of situation. Yeah, I'm going to go with a three on this, not necessarily just for Charles Cross. It's just been throughout training camp. I think they can get this corrected. At the same time, though, this has been a consistent problem, these pre-snap penalties, and not all of it has been the young guys. Some of your experienced players in the middle have been getting false starts in practice, too. So I don't know if that just boils down to, you know, we're playing with different quarterbacks, at least in the case of Drew Locke. Jacob Eason hasn't had a lot of reps with these guys, even though he's with the team for part of last season. He wasn't getting those practice reps during the week. Maybe that's part of it. But it has seemed like this is something that you would start to see improvements on, and yet it hasn't happened. So I don't think that I'm going to go four or five on this. But certainly I think it is something the Seahawks should be mildly concerned about at this point because it has been going on now for the better part of a month. We're deep enough now into the preseason and camp that this should be getting better, and yet it doesn't seem like it is. Maybe that change is now going into this preseason finale, but they have got to get this cleaned up. Going to the defensive side of the football, I'm going to take this one first because I just – I'm, you know, I wish that this was more than five, to be honest. Linebacker depth. This has been a major problem for the Seahawks throughout their preseason and training camp. And this is not to pick on Joel DeBlanco, who has basically been with the Seahawks for about 10 minutes. But the former Aberdeen native, former Cincinnati Bearcat, obviously a really solid player at the college level, him starting a preseason game and playing multiple drives and getting exposed in coverage, getting exposed in the run game. And I think he'll be better in a second preseason game because he hadn't been with the team very long, but that tells you all that you need to know about the depth there. They just re released Joel EA Booneyway, who they signed in March as a free agent that I believe they were really excited about signing him. Pete Carroll literally on Sunday when asked why they released him or why it didn't work out. Well, other players are simply playing better. That's as blunt of an assessment as you're going to get. And I thought that he was probably going to be Cody Barton's backup. So that tells you all you need to know. If I could do a six on this one, I would. I would say that, you know, this is apocalypse now standing, not just burning the building down. It's already happened and mayhem is ensuing. 
I think that this is a real problem. They are going to have to be hunting on the waiver wire, see if they can find some talent there to upgrade their depth behind Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton. Because if there's an injury there, they are going to be in a world of hurt. That's very true. If they certainly, if they have any type of injury to Jordan Brooks and or Cody Barton for that matter, who I think has had a kind of an underrated training camp, underrated second uh, preseason game. I thought they was solid in the first preseason game as well. But there's no question the depth after them it is uh, troubling. Uh, you mentioned Iggy. Uh, you know, I had conversations with, with Seahawks scouts uh, back in March and April. Um, you know, because I kind of thought that this was a club that was going to use one of their early draft picks on a linebacker, um, and when they did not do so. So one of the reasons why I was told was because they thought that Iggy could be a, a challenger uh, to Cody Barton for that starting role. So you, you know, we weren't the only ones kind of thinking that. So that has certainly been a huge disappointment for Seattle. But let me hopefully talk to you and perhaps some other, uh, you know, Seahawks fans and supporters, uh, you know, off the ledge a little bit. And just by telling you this, that all throughout the NFL, Corbin, we are seeing NFL teams who are not allocating any type of money to their linebackers. There's a lot of good veterans that are still out there. There's a lot of guys who are going to get cut that are not very well known, but are good quality players. I, I think that Seattle's depth at linebacker is a concern. I, I would give this a three. But because I think there's going to be enough quality linebackers available as free agents so you can pick up on the waiver wire, then that's why I am not quite as concerned as you might be if all you're doing is looking at one club. Looking at the entire NFL, there's going to be a lot of good quality tacklers, which is one of the biggest concerns I have for Seattle's linebackers, a lot of good tacklers that are going to be available. They just may not all be able to run like an Iggy, but again, they can tackle a lot better, and that's going to be more important once we get into the regular season. That was a perfect segue into our next one because these first two preseason games, the Seahawks have had so many problems getting ball carriers to the ground, tackling woes galore at all three levels of the defense. We've seen Daryl Taylor missing tackles, Marquise Blair missing a bunch, the linebackers collectively missing a lot of tackles. Part of the reason that EA Booneyway doesn't have a job anymore, I believe, is because of the missed tackles on special teams and defense from him, the poor pursuit angles. And yet I'm going to go with a one on this one. This might surprise some of our listeners because I've been bringing this up so much, but I just have faith in Pete Carroll and his staff. And already seeing on Sunday, they they brought the gymnastic map back out. Finally, let's work on We're not getting guys to the ground, but as close as we can while doing high-impact hitting, working on technique work, wrapping. I think they're going to be able to get this figured out. The Seahawks have a reputation for being a good tackling team and having a coaching staff that knows how to coach, how to tackle. And so I expect that this coaching staff is going to get things figured out. I think some of these moves – Releasing Joel E.A. Booneyway to me, I was thinking about asking Pete Carroll's point blank about this today, but I think he was made as an example for the rest of the players in this team. Whether you're a veteran or a rookie, you better tackle and get people to the ground or you will not be here. And I think they used him as an example for that. They could have some other guys in this team that end up being used as examples for that on final roster cuts as well. So I think the message has been sent. You've got a coaching staff that knows how to coach this up. They might realize we haven't been doing enough here, and I expect they're going to get this cleaned up. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, I actually gave this a three as far as I, I think that it is a, a concern, um, but it has been so ugly over these first two weeks that I think that, frankly, it deserves a five. But it's the same reason that that you just said. You have faith in Pete Carroll. Um, I, I And I think a, a perfect example, that, and I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, just the improvement I saw from Tariq Woolen. I mean, my goodness, he looked like he couldn't tackle his way out of a wet paper bag in the first preseason game. And then in the second preseason game, as others around him were missing, tackles Tariq Woolen cleaned up some he had a tackle at the one yard line saved a touchdown that was a terrific tackle uh, and so just to see that type of improvement in just a week is a, is a testament to Tariq Woolen but it's also a testament to Seattle's coaching staff that has proven this ability over and over again Corbin and I do think that once you start to see Seattle's regulars on the field then you're going to see this issue kind of drift away Last but not least, and I know our listeners know where we are going with this because this was the worst problem on Thursday night. It was not good in the first preseason game, but it was atrocious against the Chicago Bears, and that is special teams play. This one is a three for me, and some of our listeners might think, oh, I thought he was going to go a little more fierce on that, but this kind of goes back to the coaching staff again as well. Rob, I think that you and I both have a lot of respect for Larry Izzo and the job that he has done coaching this special teams unit since he took over for Brian Schneider a few years ago. And he had to be wanting to rip his hair out in Thursday's game, just watching the lack of execution, not handling assignments. Again, I hate to keep picking on EA Booneyway, but the pursuit angles that he had or the poor pursuit angles at that on that punt return by Vellis Jones that went for 48 yards, like, those are textbook plays that you put up as bulletin board material for the rest of your team. Like you play like this, you will not be here. And I just think the way that he coaches the faith that the players have in him, you got a lot of young guys that are just figuring out how to play in the NFL. They're playing in special teams. They're going to eventually have things click. And so I think this is going to be a process. They're not going to be great early in the season on special teams, but with the young talent they have, the rookies contributing some of the veterans like Nick Ballore that are still here I don't think it is time to push the panic button thinking the building's on fire or even smoke coming out. I think it's certainly a concern, but it's something that this team has shown they can fix with Larry Izzo with the help. I agree with you. I think that they're going to fix it. I just don't know they're going to fix it in a week. And, and now they're going to be going against Dallas Cowboys, and they got a return man, Kevontae Turbin, uh, USFL, you know, player of the year MVP, and then wound up taking a, a kick and a punt back for touchdowns uh, for the Dallas Cowboys on national television this past week. Uh, you know, and I mean, he's gonna be playing at home now against the Seattle special teams unit that, as you just uh, you know, explained, has really struggled. So, uh, I, I do have a great deal of confidence in Larry Izzo and a great deal of confidence in Seattle's ability to find quality tacklers. Um, and, and whether they be on their roster right now or on the waiver wire, as I mentioned before, at that linebacker position, I do think there's going to be a lot of good football players out there. I expect Seattle to really be looking at that waiver wire and adjusting their roster even more than we've seen in past years. And they've been very busy in past years. Um, but again, I, I do think that the Dallas Cowboys right off the bat, uh, you know, in this upcoming game are going to be a pretty formidable opponent, and the Denver Broncos are as well um, in, in the regular season opener. They've got some pretty talented uh, return men also. So that is a concern for me. This is a three again, um, and it, it's one that I 
I again, as you said, I have confidence that Seattle is going to be able to finish, fix this situation. But let's be real. This is not as gifted of a team as we've seen in the past. It's faster, but it's not necessarily as reliable or open field tacklers. And so those type of miscues really show up on special teams. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rank. Check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're also streaming five days a week video form on YouTube. Coming up on Tuesday, we're going to be checking out some observations, some takeaways from the previous two training camp practices and taking a look at a few players that are clearly on the roster bubble and where they stand heading into the preseason finale. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.